0: welcome to the 15th episode of gen z investing insights today we have sean gold he's a best selling author he's the founder of gold's code he's a startup mentor and he's on the podcast today so thank you for coming on sean
1: thank you for having me need the theme music telling you get some theme music it's going to elevate everything but i appreciate being here
0: we will so a majority of our audience are teenagers so the question i love asking is what were your teen years like and what advice do you have for ambitious teens out there Um, So my teen years, I was hustling. I had an
1: e-commerce business when I was like 12. Um, And then I translated that into another business when I was like 16. I know when I was 17, I started throwing parties. And I don't want to say I had a career, but I created like a almost 20-year business for myself. Never had to work a real job, never had to do any of that. Um, So pretty much my teen years were really just hustling, um, same as my adult years. But my advice is kind of like don't do anything stupid like use your time um you know the time that you could be spent doing stupid stuff you could actually be spent learning now it's easier than ever the network with people it's easier than ever the network um you know you can just reach out to people and back when i was back when i was your age you couldn't really do that um you don't really talk to strangers on the internet now it's like a welcome thing so um yeah use that time i mean come out strong I and mean, the the vast majority of people And it doesn't really matter about age group, because no matter what age or generation is, it's it's always the same. The vast majority of people waste their time. Okay, they will waste their time or spend it playing video games or going out or watching football and whatever. But if you can get like an edge and spend your time wisely, networking, reading, researching, taking chances, experimenting, you are going to be further along than someone that starts when they're 21 or 25 or 30, whatever the case may be. Um, So use your time wisely. Again, don't get caught up in a lot of stupid stuff. Um, Don't kind of be, you know, a slave to your devices, be a slave to your passions, you know, find what you want to do and just follow it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an easy thing for me to say, but it's hard to pull off, but you have to kind of go your own way and forge your own path as early as possible. So that way you can kind of find out what it is you want to do, because, you know, it's kind of like, right now, It's something that you're probably not thinking about the future, but it comes really quickly. Before you know it, it's like it's already time to be in college and it's time to graduate. Then it's time to get a job. And before, you know, before you're ready, it's like, wait, I wanted to be an entrepreneur or wait, I wanted to get into VC or wait, I wanted to go on a different career path. And it just, you know, you have to start thinking about that as early as you can and trying to find a way to infiltrate the system
0: and kind of use it to your advantage. Yeah. And so for the people that do want to be in entrepreneurship or venture capital, are there are there um, like any common mistakes that or like preconceptions that are wrong that they have about entrepreneurship and venture capital? All of them are wrong. <laughs> that's that's number one. One, it's never going to be as
1: simple as people online and social media make it out to be. It's never that simple. Um, entrepreneurship, probably one of the hardest things you can do. It's, it's one of the most rewarding, but it's also one of the most difficult. Um, you know, there are a variety of tools out there now that make the journey easier but at the same time, it's not an easy journey. Um, so it's best that you start experimenting now and learning everything that you can. As far as venture capital, I mean, again, I feel like this is something that's come uh, that's become popular in the past like 10 to 15 years where it's like, oh, you know, we're working venture capital. Cause I didn't even know what venture capital was until like the past 10 years ago, <laughs> you know, like it wasn't a thing um, and now it's, it's, it's like a thing. Um, but it's extremely competitive. I mean, if you want to get into venture capital, then you want to like, you know, get a lot of just common sense startup knowledge down. Right. You know, you don't just want to be book smart. You have to be industry smart, vertical smart. You you want to, you know, kind of have a varied background of not just, you know, saying going into finance, but going into finance, entrepreneurship, management, consulting, um, so many different pieces that come together. Um, and it's extremely competitive. I mean, it's if it, it, you expect to get like an internship at venture, in a venture capital firm or a job, like don't be disappointed if it doesn't happen just because it's, you know, someone wrote that it's easier to become a professional athlete than to get a job in venture capital. Um, that's because it's a really small kind of, I don't want to say it's a niche industry, but there's what, maybe like a thousand firms in the entire country, um, you know, and they're not big firms. These are sometimes like three people shops, four people shops. So, you know, you want to network with as many people as you can, learn as much as that you can. And don't be surprised that like the door into venture capital is from somebody you met like a year ago that you maybe collaborated on and not like through a job board, you know, just because I tried to work in venture capital. Nobody wanted to work with me. So I started my own fund, Spite Fund, you know, so now instead of being <laughs> an analyst or whatever stupid thing they have, it's like, nah, I think I'm be a general partner. And now I am. So, um, you know, there, if there's a will, there's a way it just, you know, don't be like surprised if you don't hear anything back and, you know, don't take the bait of becoming a scout um, or as we call it, uh, the, the pyramid scheme in venture capital. I mean, it's, uh, it's a non-paying, non-equity position, but you get to say you work with a VC firm. So uh, if you want to talk to a bunch of startups that probably won't get invested and waste your time just to say you're a scout, go for it. But I think there's better ways to spend your time better ways to level up your game, better ways to get your knowledge, um, you know, checked and just better ways to kind of network and connect. And, you know, again, it's it's very difficult to just get right into there. You, you have to really put your time in and you have to be, you know, just sort of an industry expert in the vertical that you want to work in. So don't expect to work in a
0: biotech firm. If your passion and your knowledge base is on crypto, it just doesn't make sense. You don't think there's any value in being a scout, even just like for the network?
1: I guess. I mean, if you want to network with a bunch of startups that like are most likely statistically not going to get invested, you know, it's it's a lot of work to be a scout. Okay, you have to reach out to people, you build up a network. Usually, those people are at a place where they need venture, they need venture capital and outside capital to really scale up to where they want to be. Most of them don't have everything in order, so it's like if you're going to be a scout, I think you need to have startup assessment skills. I think you need to be like that's number one. Because you could do it if one, if it's like for a really prestigious firm, which is very hard to be a scout for a prestigious firm, because the scouts of the prestigious firms are people that are already exit founders that have a network of people that they think can come up and be billion dollar companies. So um, if you don't know anything about startups and you don't know how to assess a pitch deck, and most people don't know how to make a deck, let let alone assess a pitch deck. Um, You know, if you don't have these skills, you're just going to be reaching out to people and you're going to be hearing ideas. And I get it from people all the time, like, oh, this idea is really good. And I was like, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I was like, this isn't investable at all. Like, there's nothing here. These people have, you know, no skills. The founding team sucks. They don't know what they're doing. I don't know why you think this is a good idea. So, um, again, if you want to do it and just, yeah, build a network, yeah, go for it. But then you're also going to have to deal with people that, you know, you're not getting paid to deal with that are going to constantly be bugging you. Did they look at it? What did they say? Can you get me feedback? What other firms do you know? Like it's, it becomes a whole job. And then like, you know, I come from a background of nightlife and connecting people. And it kind of transitioned into like, you know, with VC and startups, connecting, you know, people to firms and service providers and whatnot. But you also deal with a lot of garbage for everyone that wants, you know, that that wants to get a connection to a VC. You're going to get people that want random stuff. Like, you know, I'm looking for a manifold for a 2002 Mustang Cobra. You don't know anyone? You know, a bunch of people. You know, like you get, a, you get just a bunch of random stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a patience level thing. And I feel like, you know, if you really want to do it, do it, but there are other ways to build a network, which you don't, you can kind of set your own pace and you're not beholden to a, an investment thesis. You're not beholden to speak to X amount of founders. You're not beholden to like, Oh, well, if they invest, you're going to get part of the carry, which means you still don't get paid because it's the card the startup has to exit out. You know, there has to be a liquidity event. So that probably will take five to 10 years, if they exit out after they get the initial investment so you know you're not going to be like 30 until you get anything so it's kind of like it's it's it to me it always seemed pointless because people always wanted me to be a scout and i was like i'm not doing that if you want to pay me to be a scout or launch a program fine it's a different conversation but if you want me to use my network and hit people up and all that like i'm not going to do it. it just it's pointless yeah going off of that i'm really curious what what really inspired you to delve into the nightlife to start off with and then how that kind of transformed from the nightlife ninja to uh, the entrepreneur that you are today. Former nightlife ninja. Let's 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 make sure so people don't hit me up to go places, even though they still do. Um, so, yeah, back when I was your age, I was really into like going out. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm here in Florida. Um, you know, I grew up not far from Miami. And like just it was just something that I wanted to get into. I mean, all the pretty girls are going to all the clubs. The clubs had all the celebrities, all the DJs, and I, I really wanted to do it. And I was always trying to be out. I was always going to house parties. I was always kind of finding my way into places, getting sneaked in the clubs, all that stuff. And, um, you know, pretty much I just had this desire to do it. So I chose the University of Miami over the New- University of Michigan, which even now, like, it's like, what? You, you chose Miami, which is like Sun Tan over Michigan, which is a far better school. Everybody thought I was crazy but I wanted to follow this passion. I wanted to do it. And I went to the Bahamas when I was 17 on spring break and instantly started throwing parties, instantly had an act, instantly was like, this is what I want to do. Everyone tried to talk me out of it. I was like, no, this is like the future. This is, this is like my, my peak experience. This is my nexus point. I was like, no one's talking me out of it. I was like, this is what I'm doing. So, um, I mean, I went to university of Miami, not so much for the academics or the football or anything. I went to throw parties. I went to create this business. Um, very scary thing because you're betting on yourself with really limited experience. But, you know, I, it took, a, it took, I won't say it took a while, but it took a few years to really establish myself just like with any entrepreneurship endeavor. If you're thinking you're going to have overnight success, forget about it. You're going to have overnight failures, many of them. Um, but I just kept at it. And before I knew it, like I was pretty much running the entire scene for the university of Miami to the point that to this day venues will still call me for UM parties like to the point where it's like, dude, you're old enough to have kids at UM. Leave me alone. You know, um, but but that's what we did. It was just everybody wanted that niche. Nobody could get in that college niche. Um, and as opposed to other schools where it's like broke college kids. University of Miami did not have broke college kids. You know, University of Miami, it was like kids with money that wanted to go out. So um, that was just kind of my vertical. And I took that. And for nearly 20 years from, you know, 17 to almost like 37, that's what I did. I mean, it was just kind of like worked at all the top nightclubs, all the top DJs, celebrities, all that stuff. Um, and it was through that, that, you know, I started lecturing universities. I wrote my books. I got into screenwriting and I essentially got suckered into startups because a lot of my clients were like hedge fund managers, VCs, and startup founders. And they saw how I was working and they're like, do you want to do this with us? And I was like, listen, as long as I have to show up to an office or wake up early, I'm in. So that's kind of how I did it. And because I had the Miami connection, everybody always kind of came to me because I, I was just kind of this nexus, Right. Um, so with that being the case, I mean, we did so many different things because it would just be like a client would come up to me and be like, oh, you do startup stuff with well, here. This is my company. So I ended up doing every role you could imagine in a startup, um, except technical, nothing, no UX, no UI, nothing like that. And, you know, I raised funds, business development, connection, strategy, all that stuff for everything. I mean, there was an Uber competitor before Uber was a thing I was doing um EHR platform with AI a dating app in Miami which is a paradox in itself um mental wellness like so many different things i think now it's up to like probably over 40 startups i work with like just over the years um so it was really using those skills and the skills were connecting the skills were being reliable the skills were not being a crackhead the skills were just you know delivering um, and the skills are just having the common sense to know what's real and what wasn't, um, you know, cause with startups, it's like a black hole, you know, you really have to vet if they're real, if it's something you want to attach yourself with. Cause a lot of them, especially in the pre seed stage, which most of them are, are going to want you to do everything for free. are going to want to use your network. are going to want to use your skills. And it's like, at the end of the day, you got to make money. You have to support yourself. Equity doesn't matter. Like it's cool. Yeah. You could be the next Facebook statistically it's not. Okay. Like statistically, it's not going to be the next Figma or the next Uber. It just, it's probably not going to get beyond the pre-seed stage. It's probably not going to, and then you're just left with a bunch of equity that's meaningless. It just, you know, you have a shares in something that doesn't, it's, 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 it's worth zero. Um, so yeah, you just kind of have to put all your skills together. Cause again, I came from a non-traditional background, as you can see um, my major, as I used to say at UM was majored in club promotions, minor in house parties, but my real major was essentially entrepreneurship right they offered an entrepreneurship major but that major was chosen not so much because i was an entrepreneur but because it was the easiest one that the business school offered at the time they didn't take attendance it was three classes till you graduate i didn't really have to do much because i already was kind of living it and it was just easy but i have a degree in entrepreneurship does the degree like mean anything as far as like you know oh he has a degree in entrepreneurship Like no the real world experience matters you know um so it's really, you know, going back to your point, like the parties prepared me for dealing with, you know, the psychology of startup founders, the psychology of investors, the psychology of just people that you you do business with. Um, it prepared me for the marketing campaigns, prepared me for just a lot of general knowledge, because I mean, in addition to the nightclubs and the private parties and all that stuff I did, you know, I worked with a ton of major brands, you know, like Absolute, Stoli, Vuf Keklo to do all these like launch parties, brand activations. I work with this one casting company for the iHeart Radio pool party on the CW after an all new Vampire Diaries or whatever it was on. You know, where it was like Sean, we need you to bring X amount of people so they can look good on camera and you get VIP to the show. It like, sounds awesome, but to get X amount of people at like seven o'clock randomly to this place on time and get them to fill out a waiver and all that, it's like a headache. But like that's the kind of stuff that you only learn through experience, you know. And doing all this stuff prepares you. So I always tell everyone like. Have fun with experiments, okay? Like the little stupid job you're doing might prepare you to deal with people five years down the line because you came up with, you know, how to deal with annoying clients or how to deal with people that you wouldn't have encountered. Um, And always have a forward-looking mindset. Always, you know, always be evolving. Um, The one thing that, you know, I I just didn't evolve because I didn't have to and I think it really held me back is that I didn't care about startups or venture capital when I was the main nightlife guy because I had the nightlife. Okay, I was working at the top nightclubs in the world. I was always the top five people as far as revenue drivers. I was always the top person for bringing the most people. I had my clients again were high net worth, beautiful people, celebrities. Um, I didn't really have to do anything because I spent years establishing it. So my phone every day I'd wake up and I would have messages for reservations and stuff. So I kind of just was chilling, you know. I was just sleeping till one o'clock in the afternoon, going to workout, playing video games. I didn't really feel the need to evolve. And then when you know everything has a shelf life. So, you know, especially nightlife, I'm like a dinosaur for all the years I put into it, but like I lasted a long time, but then I realized that it wasn't personally fulfilling that the, the market was changing, the crowd was changing, the money was changing, and I really, you know, had to evolve. So, um, you know, if I was getting in more into like startups and stuff around 2012, 2013, that would have been amazing. But I didn't because it just I didn't have a need to when I was already having a thriving business, you know. So um, now my mentality is you can see it on my LinkedIn. And just if you Google me, all the different stuff I do is just to constantly be evolving. I personally now consider it embarrassing that I'm the same person I was like a year ago. You know, like if nothing's changed, if there's no new experience, no new revenue drivers, no new connections, no new experiments that, that went down. Um, you know, I'm always doing something different. I'm always, you know, trying to see what's new, what's going to come next and not really putting a, a lot of money into these experiments and putting my effort and putting my time into it so I can learn something out of it. Uh, So yeah, everything's connected, whether it's just, you know, you're studying hard in school for something you can use that knowledge to help you in whatever career path you're going, or if you have the real world experience, or even, you know, as I say, like, you know, all my biggest clients and opportunities came from just non work related stuff. It came from being in a, you know, a group session at university, going to happy hour, meeting somebody at a, at a, at a party or a bar, staying in touch. And then, you know, getting giant clients, getting giant opportunities out of this. So you really have to be like out there and be involved and really have a presence and make that presence, you know, and that reputation, something that people can count on you for and know you for. Yeah, perfect. Uh, is there any like particular like experience or setback that you like to share that you like grown upon as well? I'm super curious. All, all, all of them. So it's, it's it's funny you bring it up. So I'm executive producing the show. It's an animated show. that's going to be on, uh, we're starting on YouTube that essentially I'm going to be episode two, but after I talk with them, they wanted to bring me on as an EP, which I said, fine. So we're, the purpose of the show is bringing on like successful entrepreneurs and successful ex- executives. Like from around the world and telling their stories of what they learned, personal growth, you know, through setbacks and all that stuff and giving, you know, just giving them 30 minutes to shine and help others. So uh, one of my favorites, well, there's two favorites. I mean, first one was when I was on Jeopardy and I lost in front of America and that really annoyed me. Um, but it's a funny thing. It's fine. But at the time I was just really like distraught. I was like, damn, if only I knew Montreal was an island. You know, uh, don't make my mistake. Montreal's an island, so um, that that's like a recent setback because that just like you only get one shot at Jeopardy, and like once you're on there, there's no retakes. They film that lot li- not live, but in front of a studio audience. So you better know your information and, and be on point. Um, so that really annoyed me. Uh, so that was like a setback, and I was really down for the remainder of my L.A. trip because I was there for like a week, and I was really like, I got to find a way to like use this setback to like grow from it. Um, which I did. I created a bunch of stuff, and again, I laugh about it and use that. But that's kind of it's kind of a horrible thing where like you like you, you should know something and you don't, and like everyone you've ever watched because it gets ten million viewers a night or a week or whatever watches it. So that was a little annoying. But uh, the the real setback that I always use, I'm going to put on the show um is, and again, it was when I was 18. Was uh, I did a party? It was my first big party at the University of Miami. And it was on a casino boat. It was a Halloween theme party. It was free drinks, and it was going out to open, you know, international waters, so you can gamble and drink. We had a DJ and all that. So like first main party, sold a bunch of tickets. I feel like this is going to establish my reputation. This was in October of my freshman year. I was ready. I was pumped. We go out there and there's like a hurricane that comes out there, right? So it became known as like the Titanic, which is silly. The Titanic had survivors. This was bad. Like everyone got seasick. Everybody it was the worst experience ever. The free drinks are only when you were gambling. So if you weren't gambling, there was no free drinks. People just like were pissed and wanted to kill me. And uh, it, it was so bad that like when I, I mean, I showed up to, to class the next day um, and like they took role because University of Miami have small classes, like 25 kids or whatever. So I took roll and like half the class looked at me like like to make sure I showed my face. It was like one of those things where like the professor came over and was like, if there's anything you ever want to talk about, my door is always open. Like it was bad. I had to give a bunch of refunds. We lost money. Um, So it was a major setback. And usually, like for that semester, as I like whenever I walked around campus or went to a party or a bar or something, it always be like that's the guy that sold us the tickets to like the ship that was terrible. Like it was horrible, you know, Um, but I didn't let it stop me. You know, I wasn't going to stuff like that stops, you know, people that aren't committed with a zeal to what they're doing. You know, like it steps people that aren't naive to be like, oh, I would I'm not doing this again. It's a horrible business. And I got sick and everybody hates me. But to me, I was just like, no, I'm going to try again. You know, I'm going to do something different. Did something the following year. I did another party, which was also a catastrophe. And that's so bad because uh no one really showed up so it wasn't really no I didn't take the brunt it wasn't as embarrassing it was embarrassing with the staff and the owners and the people that we tried to put it on with um uh, when you have like seven people show but at the same time it's like I'm not going to let it stop me and you know pretty much it was just changing the strategy because my mentality was like I have to be responsible for bringing a thousand people and doing everything and my mentality is like well The low-hanging fruit in nightlife is that most of these people are crackheads they bring 10 people each so how about i bring 100 people or 200 people or 300 people and that's what i did and in south beach that was unheard of you know nobody knew 100 people no one could bring 200 people or 300 people or 400 people so that's what we like that was my kind of you know my my differentiating factor was like let's not try and bring a thousand let's shoot for a thousand but let's just be happy with what shows up um so yeah so those were kind of you know the the big setbacks but yeah it's called ghost ship um, I mean, it was just we, I put the, the money I had up at that point that I made from whatever parties I did, I put into it. So, you know, we had to do all the expenses. We had to, you know, get the ship. We had to create the back then, like flash e flyers were a thing. So you go to a website and it played a movie and it was like, oh man, wow. You know, so we paid for that. We had to pay for the design. We had to pay for the DJ. We had to pay for everything. And so, like, and plus of the refunds, like I lost everything I had at the time. Um, so again, yeah, it was a setback, but it, it's, it doesn't stop you. It only stops you if you let it. Um, and I wasn't going to let it, And if I let it stop me, then I wouldn't be here talking. I wouldn't have done anything. I would have just probably, I don't know, dropped out of school and sat home in my room and be like, nothing ever works out, but you just, you you keep going. And again, it becomes something where like it wears off, like for that first week or month, it stings. Time goes on, it wears off. Now you laugh about it and it's like a story used to, to illustrate. But yeah, and there, I mean, there's always setbacks. There's always, you know, nights where things don't go right. There's always times if you're a startup that investors pull out, that you lose customers. I mean, that that's the game. So you really have to understand the game that, you know, there's, there's the real world of it and there's the social media aspect of it. And the social media aspect is everybody has a Ferrari for some reason. Don't know why. <laughs> um, you know, I know plenty of exited founders who have sold their company for tens of millions of dollars. No Ferrari, but uh, for some reason there's the social media. Everyone has a Ferrari and a Lamborghini, and then there's the reality of it, where it's like, hmm. If we're gonna hire someone, should we expect them to eat cat food, or is that our thing? So you know, because there's just no money. Um, so yeah, and and that and that's the real thing. I mean, I've done um I've done for OpenVC uh, app, a lot of founder exit interviews with founders from my network, and I don't really ask them about you know like oh what do you spend the money on anything like that. I ask them you know how did you live when you were doing your startup. With the failures. And it's always like, well, you know, one founder went to Costco and they would load up on cans of tuna. That was it. They spend like 50 bucks and be set for a month of food, you know? Uh, or another founder, his friend worked at Google's office. So he'd visit him twice a week to steal the snacks. Soon they have to put his money on groceries. So it's things like that. That's like the real story of like, how'd you do it? You know, oh, you know, I, another one was funny where it was two founders. One of them had a full time job and one of them worked on a startup and the one with the full time job would take the salary and they would split it so they can put it into startup and, and do stuff. Um, so it's a lot of little tricks like that that people do to really get to where they need to get to. And I feel like you have to understand this game when you're when you're getting into it, because that's it's very competitive. And you really need to be all in for you know, making this this dream a reality. and' you're, it's gonna take a while. nothing's instantaneous. and you will have setbacks, and you you can you have to face defeats but not be defeated. You mentioned um OpenVC. and so mm-hmm. I just you were the head of content slash partnerships. Yeah. <clears throat> like what does that job kind of entail? Well, I want to say it was a job. It's more of a hobby. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so pretty much if you go to the blog, Right. There's all these guest posts and then there's posts that I've written. So the guest posts are kind of just my network of, um, you know, like venture capitalists, angels, founders, whatever. And then whatever we get through the site. So, you know, we we put their, you know, their content, their topics and their articles up there. I write all the, you know, the the, you know, SEO kind of pillar posts. How does a pre-seed round work? How do you get a job in venture capital? What does everyone in the venture capital office do? Stuff that when you Google, it comes up. Um, And then as far as partnerships, because I'm connected into a lot of accelerators and funds and all that stuff, I would just be connecting them to do, you know, like different events um, and different, you know, kind of offering different services and whatnot. Um, Yeah, never heard it be be called a job, but yeah. So that's it was a fun thing. Everyone I think I do is fun. If you're going to do something and it's going to take up time, make sure you have fun doing it. Um, I'm a writer by trade. So me writing about topics that I already know about, but adding my, you know, trademark humor and jokes to instead of the boring stuff that you would see from Entrepreneur.com or whatever. um, You know, that's kind of what I did. So, you know, it's basically just a lot of writing, a lot of speaking engagements with a lot of the podcast, stuff like that. Um, And I was also the roast master general for our pitch deck roasts which they need to bring back. They're, they're relaunching the site with new features in the next few weeks. We got to bring back the, the pitch deck roast where it's essentially me and a, and a VC will go into it and rip apart a deck in front of a live, well, not studio, but a live YouTube audience. Um, so you can see what not to do and what an investor thinks of a deck and all that stuff. So those are, those are always fun. But yeah, OpenVC, again, it's a great resource because it's a freemium product. You can, if you're looking to raise capital, you can browse 5,000 plus VC firms based on vertical industry, all that. You can get, you can level up your knowledge because that's, that's what, what it's there for written by me, most of it. Um, and you can just be a better entrepreneur and be a better founder and be prepared for the tumultuous road ahead.
0: Well, I also noticed I'm, I'm scared to call it a job, but I'll call it, you know, a hobby that
1: you are a startup mentor. So yes. do you, do you like look at companies or look at
0: startups and then you pick which ones you want to work with or, or do you so, just take any of them?
1: There's two assets to that, uh, you know, two, two different variations. First, I work with Founders Institute as, as a mentor, which is the, they're the largest pre-seed accelerator in the world. So with that, because they, I'm a keynote speaker with them, I do the graduation uh, for our, our cohorts. Usually I give the graduation speech. Um, I do, uh, you know, events they want me to do as far as that and talking. But as far as like the mentorship, so I'm with the MENA region, so Middle East, um, North Africa. So essentially what that is is that there's a collective of startups that go through their program and it's a very hard program to get into. I don't think I can get into it. It's a bunch of different shapes on the test and I don't even know. But it's a very hard program to like get through and it's a very competitive program. So on that aspect you know out of you know say 800 people try to get into that cohort 25 will get in and after the program it'll be like five that graduate. So pretty much with with those startups is you know I evaluate the ideas it's usually me and a few other mentors, which are everything from venture capitalists to successful founders, whatever. Um, and we just go, we you know, we review the pitch deck, we ask them questions, we review the overall you know uh, scale of it, if we would invest, if we would mentor them, if it's the worst idea ever, something like that, to really get them through the to graduate. And once they graduate, they get all the resources and they're, they're part of the the network for life. So that's one aspect. The second aspect is that um, I do a lot of freelance work for startups. Um, so again, like pitch deck audit, pitch deck review strategy and all that. And these are all startups that are, you know, mostly North America, Europe, they're not really in our target markets for the fund I'm part of, which is emerging markets. Um, so again, that's, it's most likely, you know, not so much as long-term mentorship, it's mostly, you know, like paid advisory for what they need now, whether it's a connection, whether it's, you know, reviewing their materials, writing investor emails, warm introductions, you know, just kind of like tapping my, my network and providing that. Um, And then as far as like, you know, like random startups that just want to like, want to work with me, it's just the regular advisor for equity. It's not something I do anymore, just because it's, it's not really worth my time. And I'm plugged into a lot of different platforms. Um, And it's much better for me to like work with them, not for equity, but on, you know, a paid basis, that's really you know relatively inexpensive compared to what everyone else does and, you know, to the value I bring. Um, And I usually pass them off to someone that I think could help them, you know, in that kind of advisor capacity. But yeah, I've been doing, again, the the startup kind of advisory and mentorships and reviews uh, for a while now. It's just not something that like I haven't really created like a giant thing based around it because I just have an internal network, you know. Um, I'm thinking of creating something based around it. I mean, we have a landing page, but nothing really comes through there. It's just there to have. So it's like if somebody randomly hits me up and wants me to do like, I don't know, review their business plan, deck, executive summary, marketing plan, go-to-market strategy, term sheets, and I don't know, a partridge in a pear tree. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to send them the link and be like, here, book a time. Because, um, I mean, that, that tends to happen, which is why, like, on my LinkedIn, I don't really post, like, the true extent of everything I do, because it would just be way too many people hitting me up for stuff that, is just irrelevant to what I offer, or what I can even add value to, or whatever I can even be a part of. It just, you know, makes no sense. You know, like, and, and I already get that as it is right now. I don't know how, for some reason, it's always something really random, like transformational coaching or something in the freight logistics industry, which I have nothing to do with. Just random stuff that I, I just don't even want to talk to. So yeah.
0: Well, you said that you evaluated companies, right? So mm-hmm. what's in your opinion? your first thing you look at when
1: you get like a bunch of founders or startup. Like what's the first thing you look at and why deck first thing, just because I've done hundreds already, if not thousands, I would look at the pitch deck one, because I need to understand if they even know what they're talking about. That's number one. Pitch deck is very quick. You're supposed to get in and out of that thing, you know, so, according to Docsend, the latest statistics that they've done from everything, from everyone that's used their platform to send the pitch deck to investors, is two minutes and 13 seconds. Okay. So, two minutes and 13 seconds, you got to know interact. That's it. A lot of times, people don't know how to you know do pitch decks and they don't know how to articulate, and it's a common problem. You know, they'll just have a buzzword on page one, you know, like an AI solution. Okay. For what? Like, it doesn't mean anything, but they'll put that on there. And then going through it, there'll be like a lot of structural deficiencies that I see. Um, You know, like for instance, the whole point of a pitch deck is to pitch something, right? It's in the name, pitch deck. Okay. So nothing is being pitched. A lot of times it's a marketing report. A lot of times there's no ask. I'm seeking $1 million for this. There's no ask. So it's like, why are you sending me this? Like, is the ask to open the deck? Because I'm not going to give you an answer. Um, So the first thing I want to see is a deck because I can understand if there's a value proposition, if there's actual a market, if there's actual traction, if there's a team, you know, if there's a roadmap, what they've accomplished, and it sounds like really simple, like, okay, and there's plenty of information online, some of which I contributed to, but people just don't like don't pay attention to it. So the deck is the first thing. If I think that there's something that's actually viable, then I will like, I'll talk to them further and see whether it's something I can personally help with or someone I can plug them in with. Um, But it's essentially, yeah, I I have to see a deck because people can tell me all these different things, but they can tell me one thing. And then what I see in the deck and the deck is what's going to really, you know, make or break them. Because if they're looking to meet a customer or an investor or something, people are going to want to know what you're doing. And if what you're telling me is not what's in the deck, then it doesn't make sense. There's a disconnect. So you have to make sure that there's a story element to it that, okay, here's my value proposition. We're the Uber for insects. Fine, I get it, okay? Like your transportation for insects. I don't know why, but at least it's there instead of just saying, you know, we're a solution for ant farms or something. I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so, um, and we laugh, but it's true. We see a lot of bad stuff because people are just in the mentality of like, I was going to throw something together and get it out there. And next thing you know, I'm going to have a meeting and have a million. It doesn't work like that um so yeah deck, decks first and then i also you know i, I do take calls but i want to see like i want to be able to analyze it because when i go through it because i've done it for so long i can just say okay slide by slide these are i, I have more questions than answers if it's something where it's like right to the point and i totally get it i'm like great we can talk further and i can see i can help but a lot of times it's very rare just because again people really they don't research into it and there's a gap which again i address with a lot of the paid consulting i do is that people will show their deck. To their friends and family for their opinion, but their friends and family don't have a history of working in the startups, technology, or venture capital. So those friends and family will say that it's awesome, but they it just they don't they, they don't know what else to say. So they, there's nothing they'll just do it to give them support, but it doesn't really give them any actionable insights. And because they think it's awesome because their friends and family have said it, because their seventh grade chemistry partner thinks it's the greatest thing ever, um, you know that it's like we get it to someone real and we're like I don't know what this means this doesn't, just doesn't tell us anything. So yeah, that it's usually goes, I'll take a deck then I'll take a call and then we'll do like do a deep dive and, and see.
0: All right. Uh, unless you guys have any more questions, I think that that wraps it up. Thank you, Sean, for coming on. Yeah, no, thank thanks, you. Sir. thanks for, thanks for having you. me. Rock on guys. Appreciate it.